Sunday, wasn't it? Praise the Lord. I thought it was good. Music was wonderful. I think the preacher was okay. <laughs> I think he was okay too. <laughs> the food was good. Uh, the codfish was a little salty. I confess that. I don't know if any of you had the codfish, but it was a little salty. Anyway, I'm glad you're here tonight. And tonight we're going to start a new series. We're going to take a journey through the book of First Kings. First Kings, we just finished First Samuel. Let me ask you this. Do you really enjoy the book of First Samuel? Second Samuel. I'm sorry. That's, thank you, brother. Second Samuel. We did First Samuel first. <laughs> anyway. I like my picture. If you look at the picture that, uh, I don't know. Oh, they don't have. They have a different picture than mine. If you look online and see mine, I like the one because it has a, a king's seal on <laughs> as a king seal on, but anyway, well, we should we should get that same picture. Maybe I should take yours. That's okay. If you don't mind me, I'm going behind the Pope and pick up my mess. That's what happens when you go live. You get all these things. But anyway, thank you for being here tonight. And let's, uh, if you could, open your Bibles in First Kings chapter nine. In verse 4. 1 Kings chapter 9, verse 4. Tonight is an introduction to 1 Kings. Uh, so we're going to kind of go over the whole book. Then, then we go back to the beginning next week, Lord willing. And we'll start on chapter 1. And look what it says in verse 4. The Bible says, And if thou wilt walk before me, as David thy father walked in the integrity of heart, and in upright, uprightness to do according to all that I have commanded thee, and will, and will keep my statutes and my judgments. Look what it says in verse 5. Then I will establish the throne of thy kingdom upon Israel forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your promises, Lord. Before even Solomon uh, did anything with the... Uh, with, uh, kingdom of Israel, Lord. You already told him if he did all those things with the promise that you have for him. And Lord, we have so many promises in the Bible for us as your children. And Lord, when you open your Bible, we see them right there, right there. Help us, Lord, to take you serious in every aspect, as aspect of our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so we, are, we see First Kings tonight. So we look at First Kings chapter 1, verse 4. And you can even add there verse 5. I think is verse 5 goes right along with verse 4 because it, it kind of doesn't end there. Uh, God begins to say, then, then he finishes that statement in verse 5. So you can add verse 5 to that. Uh, so anyway, I know a new outline says verse 4, but you can put verse 5 there as well. So there was a popular secular magazine in the 90s. I don't know if you ever heard of it, which did an article on the subject of success. The article, The Best of the new, uh, new Generation, dealt with successful people in the age of 40 who were being used to impact or change America. Uh, they were recognized for the things like taking risks, uh, having initiative, or being creative or, or persistent. Nothing was mentioned about morals, integrity, biblical values, or character. It, reveal, it revealed that success in our society does not involve the condition of the heart. You follow that? It does not involve the condition of the heart. Um, success by the world's philosophy much different than the, the, the success that the Bible talks about. So I heard about, there's another story here. I heard about a little boy who, who came running into the living room uh, of his mother's house, of his parents' house, carrying a dead mouse by the tail. His mother was sitting, talking to her pastor that came for a visit. When the boy ran in, the little boy said, Mama, Mama, look at this dead mouse. I beat him in the head with a hammer. Then I ran over him with my bicycle, tricycle, I'm sorry. Then I stumped on him. About that time, the little boy looked and noticed that the that the pastor was looking at him, then he said, then the Lord, then the good Lord took him home. 
I thought was, this was cute. <laughs> so first, first Kings is a start reminder that it is possible to do right or to do the right thing in the wrong way. But it's impossible to do the wrong thing the right way. You follow that? That was Solomon. So right is right and what? Wrong is wrong. It was going to be that way. Right is right and wrong is wrong. They don't care what this world try to justify. Right is right and wrong is wrong. You know, and sometimes you find yourself say, saying, don't tell me that. Don't try to justify yourself. You are wrong. <laughs> Have you been there? I mean, I've been there. You are wrong. So, <laughs> um, anyway, uh, uh, because God, God is God, of course, and while character may not matter to society, it does not matter. To, it does matter to our supreme God. Of course, it does. Character and godly living. So now, the first book of of the Kings may may be may be uh, described as the rise and fall of the nation of Israel. We're going to see here a sad thing throughout the book, and we're going to even go to Second Kings. The sadness is like, okay, there we have uh, uh, Saul, which is started right, then, then when finished wrong or bad. Then we have David. David fought many wars, and David was a great king in Israel. Then it comes Solomon. Solomon became a king at a very young age, but Solomon started right. He didn't finish right. He finished, you know, he, he had many mistakes that he made. Then his son Rehoboam comes in the scene, and that's when the nation just splits. Civil war takes place, and they have different kings there. It's, uh, we're going to see the progression. But it's all this happened, you know what? When we don't put God in our lives. That's what happens. We don't put God in our lives. We just look at the world. We want to be just like everybody else, and there we go. That's what happened. We're going to see the progression of, as we go through this book. Good book, the book of First Kings and the book of Second Kings. Good books to study. So now... Uh, now, uh, let me go here a little bit back. So now the first book of the kings may be described, like I said, the rise and fall of a nation. The two, book, the, the two books of kings, like the book of uh, Samuel, were originally one book. Okay, so let's look here. I know you have a lot on your outline there, but uh, it's not because the lesson is, is until tomorrow. It's just I, I want to pass the information to you. So the author of the book, unknown, possibly Jeremiah. Uh, the date of the book, it depends what Bible you read, okay? Some Bibles go a little farther, some Bibles go a little less. I give you my, you know, from what I study, 588 B.C. The key verse, I believe is 1 Kings chapter 9, verse 4, the one we read. You can add chapter, I mean, verse 5 in there. Uh, I'd say the key verses in there. Uh, it covers 120 year, uh, years of history of Israel. 40 years of Solomon's reign and 80 years uh, Israel and Judah, the uh, kingdom divided. The setting, the one great land of Israel turns into a land divided, not only physically, but also spiritually. Not only physically, they physically get divided, but also spiritually. The kings of, of the northern kingdom, they're all bad kings. Uh, they walk away from the Lord. Uh, we'll look into that. So, uh, the key people are here in this book. David, Solomon, Rehoboam, Jeroboam, Elijah, Ahab, Jezebel. Some others too. So now as we come to 1 Kings, there are a few things that I want to say by the way of introduction uh, here. So uh, and I said this, let's, look, let's go to our, our number one point right here. A difficult, the, the difficulty we need to identify. A difficulty we need to identify. So you see, I'm sorry. So we see the way of, of, our, of our Old Testament books are arranged is not chronically the way it, it happened, okay? So, and that largely accounts for the difficulty sometimes when people get confused when they're reading through the Bible. If, for example, we were to read the Bible straight through, we would come to the history of Esther before that of Job, and yet Job law, uh, um, um, lived more than a thousand years before Esther. So come to the end of, of Judah's captivity in Daniel, and yet in the next book uh, in our Bible, Hosea, neither Israel nor Judah have been carried into captivity. So when you read those books, don't get confused. It's easy to get confused because the way your Bible is set up is not in chronicle order. 
Uh, so, anyway, so you see, if we do not understand the arrangement of the Old Testament books, we will uh, inevitably end up with a confused and hazy view of our Old Testament. I think sometimes it is good if you read through the Bible and you're confused, maybe you don't understand. Um, you can always go back to Pastor Barbosa's lessons. <laughs> It'll be good for you. Or have a good commentary, somebody that you know and trust and, and, and they expl- especially in the very beginning of each book, they always give you a ac- good explanation or good view over the book. And is, you can learn a lot by just the first pages of a, a, bio, a good Bible commentary. Uh, so uh, you can, you can, it can help you with that. But I mean, if you, want the, I mean, if you understand, it's fine. But I'm saying if you get confused, if you need some explanation, sometimes we can come to that. Uh, so anyway, let's look at letter A. We see a division we need to specify. You see, the book of Second Samuel and the early part of First Kings describe the powerful position of Israel you know, on the world stage, but most of the book of Kings is concerned with the nation's downfall. Okay, under David and Solomon, the nation was eventually united and the empire stretched from Egypt all the way to Euphrates. But from Solomon's time outward, they had a downhill through civil war and, and, uh, civil war and a divided kingdom to exile in a foreign land. So after the death of Solomon, the nation was divided in two. And, and, and it's sad, it's amazing that said that a nation that the Lord put together and brought into the promised land now comes to that point in time, they divide themselves. They cannot live together anymore. How sad is that? Very sad. You know, it's the same thing that happens sometimes when a church splits. You know what happens? They can't live together anymore. So they split each other. It is painful. It was painful in the nation of Israel as well in those days. So under, under David, and like I already read that part. So anyway, so after the death of Solomon, the nation was divided, like I said. So number one, we see the northern kingdom. With his headquarters uh, first at Shechem, then in Samaria. So the northern kingdom was composed of ten of the twelve tribes of Israel. These ten tribes were eventually taken away into captivity by Assyria. They never returned. Number two, the southern kingdom, with its headquarters at Jerusalem, composed of two of the twelve tribes. And uh, these are easy to memorize this one, just Judah and Benjamin. That was the, 12, the two tribes uh, that were made the southern kingdom. So these two tribes were taken away captive by the Babylonians and ultimately returned to Jerusalem. Remember Nehemiah, we're talking about Nehemiah came and built the walls. And of course, David, I mean, David, uh, Daniel was there in, in Babylon. So the northern kingdom was known by the name of Israel. The southern kingdom was known by the name of Judah. And, it's been, and, uh, and it began the largest tribe of the two, of course, Judah. So let's look at the details we need to clarify here. If a number, uh, if a number of facts are kept in mind, then the account of David... David's kingdom, as given in Kings and Chronicles, will become plain. So I'm going to try to move along because I don't want to bore you tonight because there's a lot of technical stuff right here. So the histories of the two kingdoms were given parallel with one another from 1 Kings chapter 12 to 2 Kings chapter 17 when Israel is taken captive. The history of Judah alone is, can, is continued from 2 Kings chapter 18 to, uh, to chapter 25. And the history of Israel, that, uh, that is the ten tribes, is not given at all in the book of, of First and Second Chronicles. So, the great period from the death of Solomon to the captivity of Judah is recorded for us from three distinct points of view. The royal point of view in the book of, of the Kings and the priestly point of view in the book of the Chronicles. So the prophetic point of view of the book of the prophets. So now, if these uh, facts are remembered, and we read the book of, of Kings and Chronicles in the light of them, the Old Testament will become a new book to us. Some people think sometimes say, "I some of the books of the Old Testament they're boring, or they're too hard to understand." I say, put your mind into it, get a good commentary. If you have questions, write them down, take some notes. And put your mind into it that you're going to enjoy it. I enjoy every book of the Bible. I don't know about you. I read through the Bible. I'm in the book of Philemon right now. But I tell you what. I'm sorry. I'm in the book of First Timothy. Not Philemon. First Timothy. But anyway. Every book is rich 
with God's Word. Every book is wonderful, rich of God's Word. Sometimes, you know, some books might be a little more technical. Somebody say, well, what about uh, uh, Leviticus? What about Leviticus? Good book. Just have learned those, those things, but good book to learn. It's fascinating. If we have a mind to learn that I want to learn, you, anybody can learn so much by reading the Bible. We have to want to learn. It's like anything else. So now, 1 Kings falls in two main, main sections. The United Kingdom, first chapter, chapter 1 to chapter 11, and the Divided Kingdom, chapter 12 to chapter 22. So if you want to divide, the, 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 if you want to actually outline the, the book, you can do that. The United Kingdom, chapter 1 to chapter 11, uh, and the Divided Kingdom, chapter 12 to chapter 22. So, however, I want to, uh, to look at this book slightly from, uh, uh, let's look at point number two here. So, point number two, uh, Era of Royal, royal History. For these chapters, these, these chapters tells, uh, tells the history of the united people of God before a division on the Rehoboam, Rehoboam of Judah and uh, Jeroboam of Israel. So they were, they were brought before Israel. But let me tell you, this whole division, it's, it's Rehoboam's fault. Because the people of Israel, of, of Israel came to him and asked him the question what he was going to do. And he went take he went take some kind of counseling with his buddies, you know. That's the counsel that he took. He re, he, he, he rejected the counsel of the all the elders of Israel and went to get the counseling of his little buddies. And then what happened? He followed that and he he created that division. And of course, it was a great division and it was it was not good for Israel. But that, that that's where it started. And of course, the other guy. Uh, Rehoboam, he was not a good, a good person. We're going to look at that, at that, what kind of person he was. So anyway, letter A. David, their, uh, David, their finest king. So the book of, of Kings opens with David, with King David, and ends with, with the king of ba- Babylon. So it opens with the building of the temple, and ends with the burning of the temple. It opens with David's first successor to the throne, Solomon, and ends with the last successor to the throne there, uh, I don't know how to say this guy's name, but I'll get to you <laughs> later on this one. Um, anyway, so uh, before that happens, however, uh, an important uh, tra- uh, transaction takes place that should have prepared the nation for future days of greatness. It was a transaction of, godly, of a godly king, David, to a great, uh, a great king, Solomon, uh, for first kings open as David lay uh, on his deathbed. When we look at the chapter 1, we're going to see that. He's laying his deathbed. He's on his last days. And if David, I mean Solomon, is a young kid. He's very, he doesn't know how to go about it. And it's a, it's a sweet chapter, right? Chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4. Then after, things began to go the other way. But what is it? we see the, 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 the tender heart of Solomon there. In the beginning. So look, look what it says in First Kings chapter 1, verse 1. Now David, now King David was old and stricken in years, and they covered him with cloth, but he got no heat. So he was an old man, and he, he, he could get no heat because he used to old and frail. So David was coming to the end of his days. Can you identify with him? I mean, as you get older, do you get colder? I, don't, I think I do. I don't know. I, I, in the winter, I struggle with, like, from my, from my knee. I'm not that... Well, I'm not that old yet. But for my, for my knees down, my bones hurt. I don't know why. Both of my legs, I, 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 is it, and it goes on all day. When the temperatures get around 25, 20 degrees below, I mean, it just all day long, it's just like it just that inner pain. So when I was young, I never felt that way. But you might say, that, I don't know if you experience those things, but as you get older, don't you see people when they get older, I mean, some people dress with long sleeves and jackets even in warm days. And he's like, why? I mean, it's so hot outside. Why are you dressing that way? Oh, I'm cold. Okay. Uh, maybe it's part of when you get older that your body doesn't get as warm. But we see David right here in that situation. So King David's uh, uh, old son was named Adonijah, assumed that as soon as the father would die, he will be taken the king. But the Lord has revealed that the kingdom was to be, was Solomon, was to be the king. And it was God's choice for Solomon to be the next king. You can see this in 1 Chronicles 28.5. You see, it was, it was from the Lord, uh, chapter 2, verse 15. So Solomon was crowned king before David died. And of course, it was something goes on in there with Adonijah. We're going to look into that in the weeks ahead. So I can, I can help believe that 
that part of David's charge was referenced to David's past mistakes. He wanted to just have us, uh, he charged immediately when he heard that, that Adonijah was trying to become the king of Israel and immediately got his son uh, Solomon to, uh, to become the king of Israel. So it, didn't, it wouldn't happen, the same thing happened to Absalom in, in uh, 2 Samuel. Anyway, so... Let's go down here a little bit. Uh, let it be, you see, Solomon, their famous king. We're going to see that uh, David was a conqueror. Solomon was a celebrity. That's the difference in those two kings. David was a conqueror. He loved the Lord. He was a conqueror. He fought many battles for God. Solomon was a celebrity. He was a builder. He was a celebrity. He was not known for, he, he was not a man of war. You see, we see this famous king steps onto the stage of public history. Now Solomon was very young when he came to the throne. His word is that he was, the word is that he was but a little boy. That's what he says in chapter 3, verse 7. Eusebius, uh, Eusebius said that he was 12 years old. Josephus says that he was, he was 15. So, give it or take it, he was around that age. We may safely say that he was, uh, he, was, uh, he was not 20 years old, so he was young. Look what it says, chapter 2, verse 12. Then set Solomon upon the throne of David, his father, and his kingdom was established greatly. So, the early years of Solomon's reign have been described as the golden age of Israel. Solomon's reign began in a blaze of glory. Some of the greatest years of Israel's existence was during the reign of Solomon, uh, during the early years, uh, number one we see is wisdom. Chapter 4, verse 29, all the way to verse 34, describes his wisdom. It says, in God, verse 29, give Solomon wisdom and understanding exceeding much and in largest of heart, even as the sand that is on the seashore. And Solomon's wisdom uh, excelled the wisdom of all the children of the east countries and all the wi wisdom of Egypt. We see that God gave Solomon, great wisdom. Uh, he asked wisdom to, to, uh, to take care of God's people. And he asked and God gave him great wisdom. So when the Lord gave Solomon the privilege of asking for anything he wanted, he asked for wisdom and understanding hearts. And God answers prayer. So isn't it wonderful that we have access to the throne of God who is greater than Solomon and we can ask Make a petition before the Lord. Let me tell you, folks. Let me remind you of this thing. Solomon asked God, asked God for wisdom. God grant him wisdom. Don't you know when you pray, you pray to the same God? We pray to the same God. He's the same Jehovah God. And you know what? He can give you many things if we ask for. God can give you. He, he gave, the Bible says He gives liberally to those you ask. The book of James talks about that. So let it, number two is wealth. Look at verse four, verse 20, chapter 4, verse 26. And Solomon had 40,000 stalls of horses and of his chariots and 12,000 horsemen. Uh, the king of Sheba, uh, the queen of Sheba testified of his wealth and the beauty of, of Israel. Uh, there in First Kings chapter 10, verse 7, it says, Obed, I believe not the words until I came. In my eyes I seen it. And behold, the half was not told me. Thy wisdom and prosperity exceeded the fame which I heard. And look what she says in verse 8. It says, Happy are the, thy men, happy are these thy servants which stand continually before thee, and that, and that hear thy wisdom. Even this woman heard of the wisdom of Solomon, and she didn't believe it until she went and saw for her own eyes. So... Um, it says in 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 14, it says, Now the weight of gold that, that came to Solomon one year was 600 three score and six talents of gold. Wow. Somebody says, this is not my, I'm not good with those kind of numbers. So it says it's around $304 million if you translate it to currency of today. That's a lot of money. So we see... We could safety round it to maybe $304 million to about maybe $500 million per year coming down to, the, to, the, uh, to Israel during the years of King Solomon. So you had a lot of wisdom, this man, 
God gave him the wisdom. So anyway, um, let's go down here a little bit to see his work. One of the Solomon's greatest claims to fame was, and great works was the building of the temple. Remember, uh, David gathered all the, uh, man, a lot of the materials and, uh, and made things possible for Solomon to build, build the temple, but ultimately it was Solomon who built the temple, and Solomon finished the task that his father was not given permission to build. It's interesting that the New Testament does not give us much instruction as to the meaning of the temple as it does the tabernacle. So, so, so uh, some see the tabernacle as a picture of Christ and His humility on the earth, and the temple as a type of His present ministry and glory. So it's too bad that the Jews trusted the presence of the their temple instead of the promise of their Lord when He came. The Bible says He came to His own, and His own received Him not. And imagine He came as He promised. And they didn't see him. His worship, number four. For the, at the dedication of the temple, King Solomon led the congregation in prayer and worship. And what a prayer it was. For here Solomon acknowledged God. He acknowledged the uniqueness of God. In chapter 8, verse 23, he says, He says, Lord God of Israel, there is no God like thee in heaven above and on earth beneath. You keep us covenant and mercy with thy servants that walk before thee with all their heart. You can see the early ministry of, of King Solomon. This man had a heart for God. He, he, saw the, he saw the footsteps of his father. He saw the heart of his father. And he followed that footsteps. But again, folks, let me put it this way. Our life is a journey. All the way to heaven. Our, a journey. Our Christian uh, life uh, is a marathon all the way to heaven. And there's many things along the way. We need to keep our eyes in the mark. Otherwise, we can deviate from side to side. See, Solomon started good. You know why? Because he had a father that followed the Lord. He had a father that was at a heart after God. I'm sorry, at a heart after God, and he saw that. But eventually, what happened? The father moved out of the scene. Now Solomon is on his own. He started good. For the beginning of his younger years, he had a heart for God. He did everything, and he he's worshiping God right here. But he gets to the older years, and when he begins to marry so many women, things begin to change. You see, the acknowledge. The acknowledge, uh, he acknowledged the faithfulness of God in verse 24. He says, Thou hast kept thy servant David my father, that thou promised him. Thou spakest also with thy mouth, that thou full, uh, full, uh, fulfilled it with thine hand, and it is this day. And he also, the next point is, he acknowledged the greatness of God in chapter 8, verse 27. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, the heaven and the earth uh, of Heavens cannot contain thee, how much less this house that I have built. He acknowledged the greatness of God, that he, he was serving a great, great God. Let me tell you this, folks, tonight. We serve an awesome, powerful God. You know, I, I was actually ta talking about the time early. You know, what we see today, when we talk with people, a lot of people these days, I'd say quite a bit of people these days, especially men, you know what, you know what the thing is? When you talk about God, about the Lord, about the church, mockery, mockery, mockery. That's what they do. Like God has no power. God is too far away. They, they, they're in control of everything. They don't need God. You know what? They don't understand the reason why they even live is because of God's mercies and grace. But anyway... He acknowledged the greatness of God. God is great. See, prayers in a Christian assembly are often nothing more than coming with the Lord's shopping list. Lord, and listen, folks, don't misunderstand me here. Nothing wrong with that because we need to ask the Lord about our struggles and our daily lives and all this stuff, this stuff. But sometimes we need to just praise Him for who He is. God, you are good God. You're great. Praise your name. Just praise Him. Sometimes we just need to do that. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, the Bible says these. After this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father, which are in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So you see, true prayer begins by giving God his proper place. How do you approach God in prayer? Prayers come in different places, different ways, but I, I, I most of the time start my prayers by praising the Lord. Here at church, 
publicly a little different, but personally. Thank you, Lord. You're so good to me. Thank you for your power. Thank you for sustaining me. Thank you for giving me another day. Just thank the Lord for those things. God is good. God is good. I put it this way. Talking about those guys we were talking about earlier, brother. This man tells this about going to Lincoln Park in Chicago. As he sat there on a park bench, he saw a, a um, splendid gentleman approach the statue of Abraham Lincoln. For a moment, this man stood gazing at the, at the rugged face so full of strength and tenderness. So he, he, he marked with Mark, the man was so deep care. He, he, Mark, he said, I look at this man with so much, the way he was looking at this statue with so much care. It amazes me. It touched me, he says. Then he reached up and removed his hat and allowed his white hair to, to be blown in the wind and, and as he respectfully stood before the statue. Meanwhile, there was another man sitting on the base of the same statue, writing obscene verses and, stain, and stainings in uh, in making all kinds of, uh, writing all kinds of profanity there next to the statue. You see, the difference between these two men was great. And this story illustrates how different people approach God. We can approach God for who He is, the Creator of all, the awesome God, and have, have reverence for Him because He is our Creator. He's our great God. But there are others out there. You know what they do? They mock and they mock God and they even laugh. And we live in a day and age with, I tell you folks, internet is a great tool. But internet can be a tool to destroy people. And when actually, when they look at, at nonsense and get their minds full of nonsense. Some approach him with reverence and respect. Others have no apparent regard for God at all. I think how you approach God is very important. Number five, his works. His works. And he spake 3,000 proverbs and the songs were 1,005. So according to Jewish tradition, Solomon wrote the song of Solomon in his early years, if you want to write that down, expressing a young man's love. Uh, so he wrote the book of Proverbs during his middle age years, revealing a mature wisdom. And he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes in his declining later years, disclosing an old man's sorrow. So, you want to repeat that if you'd like to take notes. It said, according to the Jewish tradition, Solomon wrote the book of Solomon, or the Song of Solomon in his early years. He wrote the book of Proverbs during his middle age years. And he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes in declining years, or when he was old, an old man. Uh, that's why when you look at read uh, the book of Ecclesiastes, vanity and vanity seems like somebody is totally depressed. Uh, uh, you know, writing that book, you, you, you give you that impression when you read the book. It's like, is this guy depressed when he wrote this book? Uh, like vanity of vanity, nothing new under the sun. Uh, like, well, it'll be miserable if we all live that way. You know, it's great things under the sun, Lord, <laughs> and we rejoice in those things. You know, so anyway, so. <laughs> Uh, so here's the record of Solomon's regret for his grave moral lapse. First King, uh, Kings 11 one says, But King Solomon loved, look what it says, many, not one, many strange women together with the daughters of Pharaoh, the woman of the Moabites, the Amorites, the Adamites, the Zenodites, and the Hittites. So this man went everywhere. So you see, while the Song of Solomon is a book of sweet romance and Proverbs is a book of sacred uh, Wisdom and regulations and, and very applicable to our day, uh, to everyday living. Ecclesiastes is a book of sad, a sad uh, uh, time in the life of uh, uh, Solomon. Here's an old man who was, has come to the end of his life, having lived a wasted life. Come to the end of his life. He re, he, it seems more like that when he gets the book of Ecclesiastes, he's regretful. He's regretful for wasting life. It's like... It's like a Christian, he you, you starts right, gets saved. He's in fire for the Lord. He's there for four, five, six, twenty years maybe. And then suddenly it goes to the wayside. And in the end of life, when he's about like, you know, old, you know, and frail, he looks back on his life and he regrets those years. 
He said, why did I do that? You see, he's an old man regretting that type of life. So he preaches about that. Yet his wisdom, wealth, work, and, and words define one of the greatest reigns of Israel history. There were years of greatness, but do, do you recall the words of the Lord Jesus in Matthew 12, 42 says, uh, greater than Solomon is here. Who is greater than Solomon? Anybody? Jesus. Look what it says there. The Lord, the Lord Jesus is, is greater than Solomon in wisdom. He is. The Lord Jesus is greater than Solomon in wealth. For he, he can meet every need, physical and spiritual and material needs that we have. The Lord Jesus is greater than Solomon in work. Solomon built houses of wood and stone, but Christ has built a, a household of faith and continue to build. The Lord Jesus is greater than Solomon in worship. Solomon may have known how to, to, to go to the temple to make sacrifices, but Jesus uh, Christ knows how to, to take a lost sin and redeem them by the blood of a sacrifice. The Lord Jesus is greater than Solomon in words. Solomon spoke thousands of proverbs, but, but never, uh, uh, but men speak, I'm, I'm sorry, but never speak like Jesus. I put it like this. There's none like Jesus Christ. There's none like Jesus. No, he's saying there's none like Jesus. None like Jesus. Behold, a greater than Solomon is here. Solomon's reign began in a blaze of glory, but ended in a burden of grief. It's interesting that 2 Samuel uh, chapter 11, we have David's sinful decision. In 1 Kings chapter 11, we have Solomon's spiritual decline. It's interesting, just statistics. I, I because I saw this thing, thing it was interesting. His weakness. Uh, we see this in chapter 11, verse 1. The King Solomon loved many strange women together with the daughters, and it keeps describing these women. So it goes all the way to verse uh, to chapter um, chapter 11, verse all the way to verse 4. So a thousand women. Can you imagine how it was when all the women, all the mothers-in-law came around the palace in the weekend? I'm just kidding here. Yeah. I you know all the I think 700 wives and and 300 concubines. I want to. They didn't do all these, all the women by name. Oh, they had a list. I don't like uh, Maria. No, I'm not Maria. I'm uh, I'm uh, uh, I'm Joanna. Like, oh, I told you Maria. You know, I like. Can you imagine that? 900, 900. I mean, 700 wives and 300 concubines. You see, and that's when it began to happen. It when it began to happen. People say, well. So and so, they never change me. Then, yes, they will. Yes, they will. You know what? When he began to put his eyes on all these women, I mean, a lot of things, it was more like political reasons. They were political games with other countries. And he seems like he always go get a, somebody to marry with, make the things easy, or the transaction easy. But still, there's another wife, and there's another wife. And guess what? They began to change him. You know why? Because they had their own ways, their own cultures. And he began to change him. Why in the world kept the Lord kept telling the children of Israel to stay away from the neighboring people because of their culture and their things, the places, the things that they worship? God says, I don't want you to mingle with them. And here we see Solomon. What does he do when he goes after strange women? I mean, not women from Israel, women from other countries, from other places, and other neighbors. And you know what they did? They changed his heart. They changed his heart. You see, his weakness was woman. This was not just for sensual pleasure, but for political power. In other words, he married these women to strengthen his kingdom. This was a direct violation of the law of God, which said, actually, if you go to Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 3, we see what it says, a direct violation to God's laws, especially for kings. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 3. It says, Neither shalt thou make marriages with them. Thy daughter sh thou shalt not give unto his son, or was his daughter shall not take unto thy son. And Deuteronomy 17, 7 says, The hands of the witness shall be first upon him uh, to put him to death, and afterward the hands of all the people, so that... Uh, so thou shalt put the evil away from among you. But I think verse 3 is a really good verse right there. 
that you're not to marry or intermarry with those, those people from other lands. So anyway, so a person who does not believe whether he is uh, uh, a religionist or a moralist or an atheist has no part in uh, in what what is in in with the child of God right here, pretty much. Such a person is governed by different principles, passions, and practice. We say, well, these people, it doesn't matter what they believe. We're okay. Listen, folks, let me put it this way. I've seen many, many Christians who married outside their faith. You ever seen it? Did you see it? I've seen many. And 90% of them, I'd say, I even go up, 95% of them, the unbeliever took the believer away from God. 95% of the time. Oh, so it doesn't matter. Yes, it does matter. It happened to Solomon here. He began to marry all these women that have not, they didn't have the faith of the children of Israel. They didn't know the God of Israel. You know what? He goes, his heart went after the, these women and he forgot his God. Same thing. I've seen many, many people who have, through the years, I've been in church for 25 years. I've seen many, it happened many times. On which, oh, you know, I change him. I even seen, in case like, oh goodness, the man, on which suddenly he gets saved. <laughs> suddenly he gets saved. Suddenly he comes to church. As soon as they get married, boom, it's gone, disappears. Just to appease the family, and they, they disappear. I mean, I'm not questioning the salvation, don't get me wrong here, but it happens quite often on which the we think, well, we're going to change them, then they end up changing us. It happened here to Solomon. Number seven is worldliness. First King eleven fourteen says, And the Lord stirred up an adversary unto Solomon, Hedad the Hittite. He was the, king, the king's seed in Edom. It's worldliness. So you see, uh, the Lord wanted uh, integrity of heart. And the Lord wants all of us to have integrity of heart. Look what it says in our verse, our key verse here. If thou wilt walk before me as David thy father walked in integrity of heart, in uprightness to do according to all that I have commanded thee, and will keep my statutes and my judgments. So the Lord wanted Solomon to walk in integrity of heart, which means uh, uh, a united heart single for the glory of God, a man after God's own heart. God wants us, me and you, wants woman and man after God's own heart. You know, David, we know that it was a man after God's own heart. God wanted Solomon to have that same type of heart. You know why? He wants you and me to have the same type of heart. We individually are people after God's own heart. That's God's desire. That's why we see in the New Testament, we have to change more and more into our, the image of whom? Of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Then Jesus said, Who see me sees the Father. Obviously, he was walking in close fellowship with the Lord, and that's what the Lord wants us to do. Number three, we see an era of national tragedy. We see we hit chapter 12 all the way to chapter 22, and we see national tragedy. So what happens here? Solomon is in the end of his, uh, uh, passes out of the scene. Uh, Rehoboam comes as the king. Rehoboam is asked, and Rehoboam, of course, gives, gets the wrong, the wrong, counseling, and then he gives the wrong answer to the people and divides the country. Letter A, we see a divided nation. Solomon reigned for 40 years. Upon as that civil unrest began to rise within the nation, Rehoboam, the son, threatened to, uh, uh, to give heavy burdens upon the people. And Rehoboam listened to the wisdom of the, didn't listen to the wisdom of the, uh, the elders of Israel. Of course, he listened to his friends. Let me put it this way. The way to be a ruler is to be a servant. I believe that. The way to be a ruler is to be a servant. I work in management many years. I tell you what. I never put myself above my, the people that work for me. I never did. I treat them with respect and dignity. And many times I work next to them. Just if there's a need and they needed help, I would give them a hand. I'd not just say, oh, you, you need to produce more. I would go and give them a hand. And they would get uncomfortable say, you don't have to do that. No, so I want to help you. Sometimes, you know, and, and you can see how people work for you with willingness when they know that you are willing even to help them if necessary. I remember one time. We, I, doing this job, 
and uh, we had to produce five, three, no, I'm sorry, 55,000 pieces a day at this particular, 55,000 pieces a day. And all my guys that could that, do that is what I did. Some days they made 60,000 pieces. I didn't, go, I didn't go and say, you guys are good. So I expect every day 60,000 pieces. I would take those, that 10,000 pieces aside and put it aside. And the next day when they were a little tired and they couldn't produce because they were not machines, I quietly would put, make it look good for them. I appreciate their work because we humans, some days we don't feel upbeat like other days. And I used to do that for them, do it constantly for them. Sometimes they ask me, why is there a box of pieces over there? I said, don't worry. <laughs> I know it's there. <laughs> but anyway, so Rehoboam was a fool. And because of his foolishness decision, the once united kingdom is rent into two. We began there in chapter 12. So, uh, so what we see is we see the northern kingdom, the 12 tribes of Israel, and we see the southern kingdom. The, the country splits in two. It divides in two. The sad thing here, we've looked look, a little bit at the filed nation. At least Israel, the northern kingdom was for, to, do you recall that Jeroboam, and it was not a good king, and he comes in the scene, he, he, next, he begins to reign next to Rehoboam. So, uh, number one, we see the, the new project of worship. Afraid that the people in, the, in this kingdom would go up to Jerusalem for the annual feast, he, uh, he repeated, uh, and we, uh, he repeated uh, Aaron's sin, in Exodus chapter 32, verse 1, and made calves uh, of gold and proclaimed, Behold, thy gods of Israel. We see this in verse, chapter 12, verse 28. We'll go to that. We see a new center of worship. Um, we see this in uh, uh, there also. We're going to see that. Number three, let's go to number three. We see the new order of worship. For Rehoboam took uh, those who were now of the tribe of Levi and placed them in the office of priesthood. It's in mind, 21 times during this period, we read concerning the northern, king, the northern kings. Look what it says actually in chapter 16, verse 26. For he walked in the ways of Rehoboam, the son of Nabad, and, he, and in his sin, wherewith he made Israel to sin, to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger and with vanities. Rehoboam came, uh, uh, name became a synonymous of what this evil, what that is evil, and he, and that, and, and I'm sorry, he and, and they set God aside, and God set them aside after. Interesting here. So let us see, we see a doomed nation. The words of God says in Proverbs 14:34, a righteous, uh, righteousness exalted a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. You know what happened there? Rehoboam began to walk in the way away from the Lord, so did Jeroboam, and then the nation got split. And now they're suffering not just the split of the nation, but also the spiritual decay of the nation goes down as well. So we see the doom of the nation. Now remember, in the, in the north, all the kings were bad kings. And in the south, there were, there were some good kings, but mostly bad kings as well. So when godly kings were ruling, God blessed his people. When ungodly men reigned, God sent judgment and defeat. Ultimately, both kingdoms were carried into captivity because of what? Their sin. Same thing with us. We go on sinning. We think we can get away until God says it's enough. And God comes, comes after His children. If we are the children of God, don't be surprised. He will come after you. He will come after me. So in uh, 722 B.C., Assyria came in and captured Samaria and took the northern kingdom into captivity. In 586 B.C., Babylon came and captured Jerusalem and took the southern kingdom in captivity. So the temple was destroyed. The city was burned. The Hebrew monarchy uh, had come to an end. The period of the kings was over and the times of the Gentiles begun. Totally devastation. Why? Because the wickedness of men's heart. Because of the wickedness of man's heart, they, they abandoned God in a spiritual walk and they physically split themselves. And they should be united as a nation. They should look back and what God had done for them. Number four, we're almost done. Number four, an era of spiritual ministry. Now we need to remember that when we are considering the kings of Judah and, is, uh, that, and Israel, that the ministries of many of the prophets fall within this period. So, for example, uh, one such as the prophet Elijah, 
whose ministries to the northern kingdom, Elijah appears on the stage of history during the reign of Israel, most wicked king. His name was Ahab. And he had a wonderful wife called Jezebel. We're going to look at those people. Jezebel was a wonderful woman. She, she was a pagan princess who introduced the filthy cult of Baal into Israel. And she became the real power behind the throne. I mean, literally, the, the, the husband, uh, her husband, told, she told him what to do. And it was a time that Elijah appeared, God's prophet, to challenge the apostasy of the nation. So we're going to look into all these things right here about Israel. So let's look at letter A. Uh, Elijah, private ministry. Hide thyself. Look what it says in First uh, Kings 17.3. Get thee hence and turn thee eastward and hide thyself by the brook Jared that is before Jordan. So you see, having delivered his message to the opposite Ahab, Elijah, whose name means Jehovah is my God, now retires from the public ministry for three years. You see this in Luke chapter 4, verse 25. And during this time, the Lord trains him, refines him, provides for him, and gets him ready for public ministry. Hide thyself. I tell you what, I think that, well, I conclude with this tonight. I think the book of First Kings is a great book. There's a lot of good stories in this book. Stories of real people, don't get me wrong, not just stories for us to read. It was real people that lived at one time. Many made horrendous mistakes. We all do mistakes, but these guys over here did many, many bad mistakes. And with them, and the nation went right along with them. And what you said, but I tell you what, we can learn so much from these two books. A lot of good things in these books. So anyway, so we're looking forward next week, Lord willing, as we begin First uh, Kings chapter 1. We're going to look at the last days, or the last moments of King David. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much, Lord, for this introduction on First Kings, Lord.